Welcome to the Small Nonprofit Podcast with down-to-earth practical advice on how to get things done in your small organization. You are going to change the world and we can help. We all want the best talent in our organizations, right? But sometimes it can feel daunting, overwhelming, or simply impossible to get the talent we want and crave and that our work needs and deserves with the resources that we have, right? Well, I'm Cindy Wagman, and today on The Small Nonprofit, we are talking about other levers organizations can leverage to hire, attract, and retain amazing talent. And specifically, you know, they we're calling it your employer brand, but really what that is is a holistic approach or a full package of what you can do to be the place where your employees want to work. And I think this conversation is so interesting and timely given how much the way we work has changed just over the last 12 months, 12 plus months now, that, you know, now is the time to start thinking about how we build for the new way of working and what we can do to treat our teams like the awesome folks they are, because let's face it, we don't have a lot of resources. And often that also translates to underappreciation or for a staff feeling underappreciated. Plus, layer on top of that, the important work that everyone is doing, burnout is status quo. So now is the time to take a step back and look at how we can create organizations that treat our staff well, that become a destination for awesome people. Laura Toelk is a certified human resource leader and the proprietor of Essential HR. She knows that when a business or organization faces HR problems, there's no room for ambiguity, only positive results. For the last 15 years, she has blended sound HR practices with her pragmatic approach to improve uh, organizational performance. Now she leads a team of HR professionals as they navigate complex HR situations with managers, help guide decisions, and instill confidence with actionable steps. In her spare time, Laura enjoys the company of her husband and two children. The kids continue to help her hone her leadership skills of negotiation and compromise, and after a decade, her partner is starting to warm up to the performance reviews. <laughs> Please join me in welcoming Laura to the podcast. Laura, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Cindy. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, I'm so excited to have you here. I feel like this is almost in some ways a follow-up conversation to many conversations we've had in the past on the podcast. Um, It's no secret that we're constantly hearing about and thinking about workplace culture, the ups and the downs. Mm -hmm. And so often in our sector, there's a disconnect between our stated values as an organization and the experience our employees have um, with our organizations. And so today we're actually going to be talking a little bit about how do we create, like from an HR perspective, how do we create the organization that 
is alignment with our values. And let's kick things off. You actually talk about having an employer brand, right? We always talk about having an an organizational brand. In fact, all the, I feel like everyone's talking about rebranding all the time. But you know, we always think about brand as this external facing mm-hmm. thing. But you're talking about it as an internal experience. So can you talk a little bit about what that means? Yeah. So, and then a lot of times we talk about brand, we think about, you know, let's think about some big brands. So we have, um, you know, Winners, HomeSense, that brand, we have McDonald's, we have Target, Starbucks, we have all these big brands. And immediately when we think of brand, we, we think of what do we think of Target? What are the adjectives we put towards their brand? What do we think, what are the adjectives we put towards Starbucks? But I want you to flip that around and think, what do you think about when you think about Starbucks as an employer? Mm-hmm. Or what do you think about when you think about Southwest Airlines as an employer? And it's a completely different set of adjectives and a different set of ideas that we have towards that. And what we have to understand as small organizations uh, or medium-sized organizations is we're competing for the same talent against the big guys. So we need to know who we are as a small business in order to win over those individuals. Because at the end of the day, it's not always about money when you're attracting people. It usually isn't in our sector. Well, a lot of the time, it's the, you know, the values, it's the opportunity of the alignment with who an individual is with what they're going to be doing. So employer brand starts talking about all of those things that make people think this is the place I want to work. And you don't have to be 50 or 500 people to understand your employer brand. You can be five. And in Mm -hmm. fact, it's almost a little bit easier to figure out who you are when you're five people. So yeah, when we talk about culture, when we talk about our external values, you know, let's dig a little bit deeper to figure out how do we make that in alignment with our internal values. Yeah. So how do we first define what we want that employer brand to be? Um, And yeah, let's start with that. How do we sort of figure out what what we want or, or even what's on the table? Like sometimes I think we get so used to the way things are done that we forget that there's alternatives or we think that the alternatives are costly or what have you. So how do we start to just jog our brains around what do we what what can we play with here yeah so I think your your employer brand when you start defining it is going to be a mix of two things it's going to be a mix of who you are right now and what you're working towards so and it can start with the basics what's your physical work environment like what is your team like what are your benefits like and not just you know an accomplishment compensatory way, but also, you know, in terms of the support that you provide your internal team. What about your vacation and personal time off that also goes into your employer brand or your community involvement, what you stand for within your community? All of that plays into who you are as an employer. So it's just the little things. You're like, well, who cares about my physical work environment? People care about your physical work environment. If you have pride in place of your office, and you're in a great location, and you have a cool space for people to come and and work at, that plays a huge role into what people think about rather than, you know, going down to the basement of a building that hasn't been renovated since 1970. You know what, we're not going to talk about that as your employer brand. But if you have a cool space in a downtown location where people want to be a part of that, that area, that's part of who you are. Mm -hmm. So we're going to start figuring out these little pieces. So what is our team like? 
are we all pretty independent as an, as a team and people are just really self-motivated? That's part of your employer brand. Or is it really a collaborative approach and you need to be able to speak your mind and be able to be on board even when things are not going to go the way that you want them to. That's part of who your team culture is. So however you, you operate already is going to be the start of your employer brand. And then you're going to start looking in, well, who do I want to be? And that doesn't necessarily mean I want to give more money. At the end of the day, there's so much more to culture than money. It's about how do we support our people? Because we know we have great policies and we have great protocols for supporting clients. Mm -hmm. But are we enacting that for our own people? If someone has a crisis as a client, you know, we have a way that we approach that and we have a timeline for approaching that. But what if we have an internal problem? Are we enacting the same type of protocols for our internal employees, our internal clients. Mm-hmm. So like I, I, I sit here as someone who created a business um, and was able to create this employer brand that I think we live by really successfully. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all the things that I hear so many nonprofits say, we can't do that. Like, and now with, with COVID, I feel like a lot has been sort of our assumptions have been tossed out the window (laughs) in terms of remote work and technology and all these things. But, you know, so often, and you give the example of the basement and for some organizations, that's all they got, right? That's all they have to work with. So how do we, how do we sort of shift our minds around, wait a second, even with our limited resources, what these are some of the things we can do. And then how do we, actually change that because I don't think it's thinking about what we want. I think most people given an, given an hour can come up with lots of great ideas, but organizational change is really hard, (laughs) especially when people are entrenched in their ways. So how do we come up with this? Like once we understand what we want to be as an employer, Mm -hmm. how do we shift from where we are to where we want to be? So understanding your employee proposition, your value statement as an employer is what's going to happen after we go through that whole exercise of of who we are, where we want to be. So then we have our employee value proposition. That's going to be the jumping off point for all the structures and all the systems that we run within our business. It's going to be the jumping off point about how we hire, what we look for, our whole recruitment process. So a lot of times, you know, first step, uh, people post a job. And A, the job title is not appealing. Um, you know, if, if we need a, an a office administrator, we call it an office administrator versus actually making an off, like a, a title that might have a little bit more pizzazz to it, might have a little bit more of the appeal of our internal culture. I, you know, might not be as relevant in the not-for-profit community, but have you ever seen a job posting for a laborer? <laughs> like, I don't think so. Like ge- general labor? General labor. Oh, mom, guess what? I got a job. Guess I'm what I get to be. <laughs> I'm a laborer. Like, and the job yeah. is so much more than the, that. The job has cool things to it and it has learning opportunities, but we call it a laborer. So yeah. first of all, we want to look at our job postings and how are we presenting ourselves as mm-hmm. an employer? Once we know who we are, that elevator pitch as employer, we can start presenting it in a way that's going to attract great candidates. Yeah. So now we've got the application of the great candidate. 
Can we talk for a second? Because this is such, uh, it's one of the sort of soapboxes I (laughs) will stand on um, in terms of pay transparency. And, you know, we're a big believer and I'd actually never will share a job posting unless it includes a salary range. Um, So even some of the things like, again, talking most of our listeners are going to be organizations that work in social justice and want to um, practice um, equity. And yet there's all this like worry around, well, if we post one person's job, what is that job uh, salary? Like, what is that going to do to everyone else? And da, 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 da. But like, it's such a fundamental piece of, of not just, uh, transparency, but, but of equity and of living those values. Mm-hmm. Have you come across that at all? And, and any thoughts before we move on from that, but I just, I can't let it go. Uh, or I can't move on from the conversation without at least calling attention to that. Cause I think it's so important. So as a recruiter, when I do recruitment work, it is so much easier a, when we post a salary, I mean, it lets candidates screen themselves out. So number one, It makes the whole process of getting people in the door that are the right fit um, easier. On the flip side, yeah, absolutely. When someone starts, when you have eight people and you're posting the salaries of say three out of five, because you've had turnover for that in the last two years. So everybody kind of knows what everyone's making. You have to be pretty confident in the numbers that you're posting. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the first step that if you're trying to move towards that pay transparency is how do you gain confidence in those numbers? How do you know that these are the right numbers? And that comes into working into your whole compensation framework. And that probably is a whole other podcast <laughs> on itself, how you build out that compensation framework, how you roll that out, what you what information you provide to your staff to know how it's built. But if you can provide yourself with the framework that you're confident in, and you're confident in those numbers, then there's no problem providing those numbers to other people. Because you can give the reasons why they're there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. All right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we look at sort of titles and posting and what we're putting out into the world, but then we start accepting applications. And that's a, that's a process too, right? Like there's different ways that you can live your values in just that. So let's talk about some, some ideas around how we can attract the right um, applicants through the application process. So at the end of the day, anything to do with HR, like top to bottom, is about communication. And within organization, let's, you know, I'd hedge a bet that nine out of 10 organizations, businesses, whatever level, the number one problem within the organization is communication. So it's (laughs) one of those things that we constantly improve on, even if we're doing it well. So when we have applications that are coming in, and I had this conversation with a friend of mine recently who was looking for a job because she's like, oh, I sent out all these applications and no one's got back to me. I'm like, well, how long has it been? She's like, three days. And I was like, okay, as a person who takes in a lot of applications and does a lot of interviews, I'm going to tell you at least a week. When I post a job, I usually wait at least a week to see all the applications come in from a time management perspective to see, you know, make sure I'm looking at them all together as opposed to individually. So I was like, you got to give it a week. And then we start building it out. So I'm I'm giving her the timelines from an employer perspective of how long it takes to actually recruit somebody. But on the employee perspective or the the potential recruit, they're sitting there, they sent the application and six hours later, and they're wondering if you've even looked at it. So giving people as much communication about the process Mm -hmm. as possible is the first step. 
And that's going to go back to your employer brand. So as yeah. an employer, when someone's applied to you and they haven't heard from you for four weeks and then out of the blue, they get a phone interview and then they don't hear from you for again for another six weeks. And out of the blue, they get an email saying, yeah, can you come in tomorrow? <laughs> you know, that's going to be an impression of who you are as an employer. Which, to be fair, is a pretty accurate impression. It, it, oftentimes, like when when I see organizations do that and then I see how they practice, you know, you these are people who are wearing so many hats. Mm-hmm. Um, everything is urgent. And oftentimes, and this is again, back to the bigger conversation is like HR gets pushed to the side mm-hmm. or we don't have budget for it. Or, you know, there's just always an emergency. And so our people, our teams come second to that. Right. So how do, I mean, it's such a, um, Catch twenty two of like yeah. we're we're doing this in our recruitment process, but we have to fix it internally too, right? And so, um, you know, as, as you mentioned, there are ways that we can communicate in the process and prioritize. And I'm going to say, like, if Anya were here, she would say there's lots of ways to automate that too. Yes. So you don't actually have to manually reach out to everyone um, and and tell them what the expectations are. So we have to fix that on the recruitment side. How do we? fix it a little bit on like internally in terms of communications. So a lot of times as senior leaders, we're thinking about something and we're thinking about it while we go to sleep. We're thinking about it while we watch TV. We're thinking about it on the drive home when we used to drive. Um, And we're constantly (laughs) thinking about it and mulling it over and making it make sense and making it into who we want to be and where we're going. And, and then sometimes we tell the next level down. So our supervisors, Mm -hmm. and we kind of tell them once or twice, and this is the direction we're going in. And then the expectation is we're going to have a a town hall meeting and talk to all of our team members about it. And it's going to be done. And we're all going to be on the same page and we're Mm -hmm. off to the races. Or maybe it's not even a town hall. Maybe we send an email. Mm -hmm. And then a week later, we wonder why nothing has changed. Because we've mulled this concept over for a good two months. And we've finalized it and we're on board and everybody has had a 30 second email. Yeah. And we wonder why the message isn't getting through and it comes back to that communication. And, it, and again, it comes back to time and it comes back. But what thing we have to understand right now, especially during this time where we're a lot of us are working remotely from our teams is there's really no way to over communicate. Mm-hmm. There is this, Especially as we're remote, there is little opportunity for us to over over communicate. If anything, we are under communicating with our teams because we don't mm-hmm. have those water cooler conversations. We don't have the in the moment type of communication. Yeah, which because what I hear from so many people is like they're so tired of Zoom meetings oh or team meeting, like <laughs> Microsoft Teams. So and and you, I think, hit the nail on the head, which is like it's the informal culture that often defines the broader, you know, employer identity, right? It's the things that are not necessarily in our policies or what have you. The water cooler talk, the informal, like who's chatting with who and where. And so how do we, I I don't want to dwell too long on the the virtual piece because I do think eventually we'll, we'll be back in person, but how do we actually identify what our informal culture is and then how do we enhance that or, or 
you know, whether we are digital or, or virtual or in person, like how do we live those values? Because I actually see that as, as one of the hardest and where most organizations kind of fall flat. Yeah. And I think you have to identify the internal culture of what you want it to be and what mm-hmm. it might be. Like maybe there's an internal culture of drama. You don't really want to enhance that. We want to figure out how we can downplay that. Maybe there's an internal culture of candor because everybody has an opinion and everybody's opinion is taken into account. But what you want to enhance is the ability that once everybody gives their opinion, we're all on the same page once we make a decision. Mm. Even though we had 18 opinions, we're moving forward with one and this is how it's going to move forward. Yeah. You want to, I think, identify the things you want to amplify and the things you don't want to amplify. And that comes back to knowing what your culture is and hiring for it. So we go back to the recruitment piece. Mm-hmm. And are we asking the right questions to know that if we have a culture of candor, A, are we asking if people have ever had a time where they had to speak up with an opinion? Mm-hmm. And B, have they ever had a time where they had to speak up with an opinion, but then found out their opinion was wrong and had to get on board with somebody else's opinion? We want to be asking those questions so we can amplify the great parts of our culture and, you know, de-amplify the drama. Yes. Part <laughs> yes. I think that's, I mean, I, I, I don't, I love that um, strength-based approach, which is like, how do we enhance and amplify the good things, the yeah. things that are, are working um, instead of just like always looking at what's not working um, but or, or using that as tools to address address what's not working. So I think that's that's yeah. a really nice way of framing it is like these are the, the things that we can improve you know, grow, uh, that we're already doing really well. Um, independent, we don't force team. If it's working well and people are happy and and everybody works very independently and we come together when we need to, but it's not this collaborative approach all the time. Why are we forcing collaboration when, when it's working and when Mm -hmm. engagement is high? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. So we, we know what we want to focus on. We're starting to recruit uh, people with those skills. I think that the piece around asking, like as part of our hiring process, making sure that um, that we're we're hiring for for culture yeah. um, is really really important. But we also know that historically, things like fit (laughs) and culture (laughs) have been used to exclude um, people who might be different from the majority of the staff. So how do we find the balance between this as a tool to build and and grow and create a great work environment uh, and not and not as a tool to exclude people or um you know, hire people because they look, they look like us or they talk like us or, you know, what have you. Yeah. They sound like us. So they'll fit in. Um, And that comes back to your job description. What do you need from the role? And when Mm -hmm. you're looking at that interview guide, you're not only asking the questions about the culture and the values of the organization, uh, but you're going to ask questions about the actual practical work. So if you have somebody who on paper and in the interview is a great fit for the job, but you're all about teamwork and collaboration and they've made it kind of clear in the interview that they've had a lot of conflict with people, 
that's going to be somebody you want to take the scissors out and probably cut out of the process. Mm -hmm. If they've made it clear that they don't have a lot of conflict because they keep to themselves and because they're more of an introvert, that's somebody, you know, common sense would say they might be a good fit because they're not going to be going against our culture. They're just going to be different than, you know, Sally, Jane, and John. Uh, So I think there's a, a, a certainly a balanced approach and really looking at your recruitment policy and identifying the opportunities for the diversity and inclusion within the policy, which means, you know, protocols like partnering with um, organizations that support diversity and inclusion in their hiring. So there's some out there that really help promote roles through their own job boards for Mm -hmm. people uh, that, you know, may not look or feel the same as as the rest of your team, which is a great way to build that diversity and inclusion within your organization. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like being, being proactive, uh, with that for sure. Um, what, what are we missing still? What are the things that, um, we haven't talked about that you think really help us define or live that, um, employer brand? So it's not just recruitment. It's not just bringing people on. It's that, you know, when they come in the first day, are, what are you doing to make sure that you've solidified their belief that they've made the right choice? Because mm. there's a lot of emotion that goes into finding a new job, saying yes to a new position. And I'm sure um, you, like me, have had that new job where you walk in and everybody's happy for the first hour and then you're stuck at a cold desk with one pen and an employee handbook to read from about one o'clock to the end of the day and you're wondering how am I going to get through this week if this oh is all my I God. have to do today. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. It's painful when we think about it. But this is the thing. We're hiring people because we're busy. If mm. we weren't busy, we probably wouldn't need to hire somebody. And we all wish we could take a whole week to just really make people feel included and be a part of the culture and hang out and, you know, knit quilts. But at the end of the day, the hiring manager is often so busy that that's what happens in onboarding. And mm-hmm. instead of solidifying the belief of this new candidate that, yeah, I'm so excited to be here, they're thinking, okay, what have I done? Or when will I be able to contribute? Because at the yeah. end of the day, we all want to contribute. We mm-hmm. all want to be you know, making an impact and contributing as quickly as possible. So what does your onboarding look like that will help people, you know, know what they're supposed to do and get them contributing as quickly as possible? Mm-hmm. Any tips on that? Things that have worked really well for you when you onboard or help organizations onboard yeah. staff? So we like to build out an onboarding program that has two pieces, which is the Mm -hmm. manager's guide and the employee's guide. Because what we've found with small businesses, and we work primarily with people between five to 50 uh, team members, is that there's not a lot of extra time. So how can we make... (laughs) Don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Uh, How can we make something that really engages the new employee, but is in, uh, you know, within the confines of the schedules and the busyness that everybody has. Mm -hmm. So building out an agenda. So the number one thing I would suggest is if you're the hiring manager and you don't have the time, if you can't be the person that's going to really engage them in the culture of the organization, you find somebody who can. Hmm. So whether that's a buddy, whether it's a mentor, maybe somebody who's not even in the department or in like the the same area, but somebody that they can rely on who you know is going to be a great culture teacher and who's really going to engage it because we're not all extroverts. 
We don't mm. all want to meet new people and really get to know them. That might not be in an, an individual's arsenal of characteristics, but if we can find the people who love that and can be that in our organization, that's going to really help in engaging that person. The th- second thing is, it's going to take time. It's going to take work, but build yourself an onboarding program. So what do you need? What does it look like? What is the agenda for the first week? So what are the people who this individual are, who, who are the people this individual is going to meet? When are they going to meet them? It is a, sm- once you have the template for that, and, and again, it takes time to build that template, but once you have that, it's going to start you off on the right foot. And this is not only just for employees, this is for your volunteers as well. Hmm. You know, volunteer engagement and that onboarding is just as important, if not more important than your employee yeah. team. Yeah. Absolutely. So we've onboarded people. The other thing I want to talk about quickly before we run out of time <laughs> is uh, sort of, uh, you can call it performance management or yeah. what have you, but I know small organizations are so infamous for not actually doing proper um, reviews or check-ins or anything. Yeah. And I do think that that's an important part of the culture you know, having a, a feedback loop. Yeah. Um, so how do we, it's kind of a can of worms, but <laughs> any sort of quick tips yeah. around how we make sure, again, that that culture stays relevant and top of mind and that we continue to live it um, by engaging our employees over the long term. So when we talk about performance management, people think annual review, mm-hmm. biannual review, and it's usually cringeworthy. And nobody's really looking forward to it, not even the managers. And what we need to do is build that into what do we already have as a communication culture? So if the supervisors are already talking to their people daily, weekly, monthly, why are we not building it into those conversations and having the in the moment, you know, hey, you did it this way. I see it worked like this. Maybe next time we could try it this way. In the moment mm-hmm. conversation, in the mo- moment correction, hey, I saw you did it this way. It was fantastic. Keep going. Yeah. And building that into the culture. So we're not waiting for a six-month or an annual review. In fact, if you have a communication culture, I'd even guess that you could probably throw out the six-month or annual review because that communication- <laughs> Bold statement, but I love it. <laughs> but, but right? Because it, the review is really about communication. Yeah. And if you already are doing that- then why are we having yeah. this cringeworthy experience every six months to yeah. that's really not relevant? It's looking behind. Let's look forward yeah. into succession and into development, into goal setting. And because we've already talked about the stuff we need to talk about in the moment. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Seriously, just open a can of worms of <laughs> succession and goal planning and all of that, which we don't have time to cover today. But I think it's, it's such a great reminder and important conversation, especially as so much of our work um, culture has been tossed up in the air because yeah. everyone's remote or not everyone, but you know, the way we work is so different now yeah. and I think will be forever changed. Mm-hmm. So now is actually a really opportunistic time to say, okay, how do we create this going forward? How do we be that place where everyone wants to work? Um, so Laura, thank you so much. And I know you have some resources for our listeners. Where can they learn more about you? 
So we talked a little bit about employer brand and we have this download. It's called how to identify and amplify your employer brand. And it can be found at essentialhr.ca slash small nonprofit. Amazing. And we'll include that in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure to be here. Yeah. And of course, to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. Uh, Can't wait to see you next week. Well, folks, that's it for today's episode of The Small Nonprofit. I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and this show is brought to you by The Good Partnership. As a reminder, if you want more resources around raising more money for your small nonprofit, visit thegoodpartnership.com and download our free fundraising strategy guide. I'll see you next week. Mm